All right, welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night. It is March 15th, the year of our Lord, 2020. The water spigot of content has been off for, Colin, it feels like about three months now. But we still got a lot of college football to talk about tonight. Happy to have you joining us. If you haven't already, subscribe to the channel. Like the video, by the way. Click in that little thumbs up button, especially when you get us over the 50 number for some odd reason. That's the line in the sand, and it really helps us a lot. We are talking LSU within the context of the entire world of college football tonight. Also going to hit Andrew Ivan's Peach State scorecard. We did Bud Elliott last week when they released the Sunshine State scorecard. It's this series of really fascinating in-depth dives into the hottest recruiting beds in America, Florida, Georgia. I think they're going to do Texas, California. And who recruits it? Does anyone lock down that state in particular? No one ever locks down the state of Georgia. You might think that Georgia does, they don't. You might think they need to, they don't. But because of the approach Kirby Smart's taken, I think it probably gives a lot of programs in the general southeastern region an opportunity that, again, is being granted to them by Kirby Smart's approach. We'll talk about that. I'm also going to hit you with some more thoughts I've gotten. I haven't really wasted much time on this show talking about coronavirus and its impact on mankind. A lot of other folks out there are talking about that, but what I have tried to get for you is as much tangible, credible, logic-based information as I can from people inside the college football industry. I mean everything from people who cover the sport to people who uh, work in the operations side of things, player personnel on the NFL side, also the college side. How are you going to handle practices now that they don't exist anymore in the spring? Can you structure off-season workouts like you normally did? How's the recruiting calendar going to shift? How much time are you going to have if and when fall practice finally gets here. Will fall practice start on time? Will it start early? Will the game start on time? Obviously, a rabbit hole down which we will go towards the end of the show. I will say, though, we did a show the other night. We did a show on Thursday night. And by the way, for the foreseeable future, we're doing Thursday and Sunday night shows. I know, Colin, we said we were going to go until spring ball wraps up. Well, spring ball's wrapped up. We'll go as long as you want us to. And then eventually, probably, we may back it down to one show, one live show a week for a little while. But I will say this. I've largely kept quiet about this, and I'm going to keep quiet about it. I'm about to move on. We'll be talking about LSU in a minute and a half. But it's been really funny. Colin and I were just talking before the show came on. It's been really funny to watch a lot of folks who, if you look in their Twitter bio, it says content creator. Or if you look in their Twitter bio, it says storyteller. And we were like 72 to 96 hours into the no sports dead period because of coronavirus. And people were like flipped out of their mind. They had no clue what to do. And there's some hard truths being faced out there, guys. Hard truths by a lot of folks who fancied themselves as content creators, realizing all the while they were merely aggregators. Nothing wrong with that. We have a lot of folks here at 24-7 who do that. It's just that it's a certain lane, and there may be some folks who thought they were in this lane over here, in this lane, and the best way I've ever had it explained to me, and I'll share it with you, and then we'll move on, is sometimes a water park thinks it's a playground until the water gets cut off. Right now, if you're a playground and the city cuts your water off, well, you got to bring some porta-potties in and someone needs to bring some cases of water. Let's get some hand-washing stations, but you can still go play on the swings. You can go play on the slide. You can go play on the merry-go-round. Sandbox is open for business. Playground can carry on with no water. You cut off the water and a water park is dead. And right now, you got a lot of folks who thought they were content creators that as soon as that water got cut off and as soon as they stopped playing live sports, they were dead on the vine. We're going to try not to be that here, and we're also not going to pat ourselves on the back just for doing our job, even though hypothetically and 
hypocritically in some cases. It sounds like I just did. I just want you to know we're going to actually talk college football here instead of doing like top 10 college football movies for the next 30 minutes. LSU has changed the sport for everyone. Do you understand this? Some, some years, well, every year, and hopefully this coming year gives you a national champion. So every college football year gives you a national champion eventually. In some years, those national championships are won in basically a vacuum. Take 2015 Alabama, for instance. 2015 Alabama, it is Jacob Coker's team, and then briefly it's not his team against Ole Miss. Cooper Bateman takes the field. Remember being on the sideline for that? Starting lineups are announced. Cooper Bateman. Well, then Jacob Coker comes back in, but it's not quite enough because Alabama's minus five turnovers in that game. Alabama loses, but then they rectify things. They go on to win a national championship behind a dominant defense, had a really good front. They had a kid, uh, I think his name was Derek Henry, went on to win some award in New York City. So basically, Alabama won the national championship using a variation of the blueprint Nick Saban had always used to that point. And so everyone watched the Crimson and White Confetti Fall. I think we were in Glendale for that game. Covered that one, wherever it was. Anyway, no one was surprised, my whole point, no one was surprised that Nick Saban was able to package up the blueprint of bludgeoning people to death and work it to perfection and winning a national championship. No one was surprised by that, and no one in the offseason said, oh man, Alabama, dude, what they just did is going to revolutionize this sport, and we're going to have to get on board, and we're going to have to do what they did and change things, or we're going to get left in the dust. They just did what Alabama had done to that point. Well, 2019 LSU is a far cry from that. 2019 LSU has changed the sport quite literally for everyone in varying degrees. And I'm going to tell you how. I want you to think about this. Everyone now is going to believe that they are a transfer quarterback away from a championship, keeping in mind the whole time that Joe Burrow was actually on campus two years. He didn't just come in off the street and win a championship, but... Once they got the rest of their program in order, Joe Burrow was the guy, it turns out, the whole time that was capable of leading them to a national championship. And he's not homegrown. He didn't come from Bossier City. Uh, he didn't come from a parish down in Louisiana. They got him from Ohio State via the transfer route. So everyone now looks and says, we got to go find that quarterback like LSU did. If we can find that quarterback like LSU did, then here's step two. If we got the quarterback already, Everyone now thinks they're just some NFL off-field analyst hire away from winning a national championship. Did you know Joe Brady? A lot of you NFL fans didn't even know who Joe Brady was. In fact, if you're not a New Orleans Saints fan or really hardcore dialed in to the pro game, you didn't know the name Joe Brady. And yet he comes in and becomes a rock star overnight in the world of college football. He wasn't a coordinator. He wasn't a head coach, which leads you to believe, possibly, that it's just that easy. Those guys are a dime a dozen in the NFL. They just grow on trees. So let's just go find our Joe Brady. I've heard people say that a dozen times already this offseason. We need to go find our Joe Brady. As if, again, they grow on trees. Everyone thinks they can go get him a Joe Brady now. So you got that. See how easy this sounds so far? Just go get a quarterback off the transfer market. Just go find Joe Brady. Just go find your next Joe Brady. Everyone also, uh, kind of packaging all this up, they think there's some magic button. This didn't take LSU four or five years. It was an overnight deal, which leads me to my fourth point. Everyone thinks their head coach is capable. And this premise is born from your default setting on Ed Orgeron. I've talked about this a million times. We talked about it on our old version of Late Kick when we were independent. And I'll talk about it until I'm blue in the face. People's default on Ed Orgeron was that he was a moron. They judge the book by its cover. Sometimes you can judge a book by its cover accurately. This one, turns out 99% of people were wrong. And so Ed Orgeron got judged 
and he was kind of a caricature of everything you would expect from a guy from where he's from in Louisiana. And so my point is, the same people who used to paint this man, Ed Orgeron, as a fool, now look at him, and he's accomplished more than, in, in the span of like 12 months, he's accomplished more than anyone in the sport has, again, in that time frame, and they look at him and say, okay, good for Ed Orgeron. If he did it, then that certainly means our guy's capable of doing it. And if our guy can't do it, then certainly we can find someone out there to do it because, again, let me repeat for those of you in the back, Ed Orgeron was able to do it. I don't think of Ed Orgeron this way anymore, but some people probably still do. So the bottom line here, and how this pertains to Georgia, Michigan, whoever, fill in the blank, the grace period has evaporated. That's what LSU did. They, in large parts, ruined the sport for a lot of other people the grace period, you know what the grace period is. If you don't, here's what the grace period is. The grace period used to be, yeah, we went eight and four this year, but I mean, we got a lot of solid foundation here to build on. That used to fly in 2004. Not that people weren't winning championships, not that expectations weren't high in 2004, but keep in mind how the landscape was different back then. Well, nowadays, and it didn't start with LSU. It started with Nick Saban coming to Alabama in 2007. Saban comes to Alabama, Nick Saban starts dominating college football, and he sets a bar higher, and he goes on to continue to set that bar higher for the foreseeable future than anyone had at least in a couple of generations, if not ever, in the history of the sport. So then, all of a sudden, chain reaction. What was once good enough is no longer good enough. Think Phil Fulmer at Tennessee. He's gone shortly thereafter. Think uh, Tommy Tuberville at Auburn. He's gone shortly thereafter. And Mark Richt, while he survived a whole lot longer after Saban was hired, what Richt was doing at Georgia that had previously been considered good enough was no longer good enough. Their efforts didn't decline, guys. The results were largely the same. It's just that this guy, Nick Saban, comes to Alabama and all of a sudden he shows you what's possible and therefore your good enough is no longer enough. So then here was part B of the chain reaction. Saban comes in, standards go up, you're no longer good enough for us, we're going to go hire new staffs and we're going to pay them a lot more because that's the secret to success. If we just fill their pockets a lot more, if we tack on two and a half, three million dollars more per coaching staff per year, then that justifiably grants us the access and the reason to demand immediate results. Bearing in mind all the while, the actual formula for success never changed, but that's what people thought. We pay you more, therefore we can shave a year and a half off of what it should take for you to achieve top results. This is a microwave mentality, it's not based in reality. Well now we fast forward all the way to 2019. 2019 comes, Ed Orgeron's offense for a decade plus had been mired in mediocrity, and that could be a kind description of what LSU was offensively. And then, just like that, a hire here, a personnel change there, they take the same group of kids, largely, that were shut out by Alabama in 2018, and they go in Tuscaloosa and hang half a hundred on them nearly, and they dominate the sport, and they go 15-0 undefeated, rewrite the record books in college football, and the reason that evaporates the grace period for everyone else is because you're no longer allowed to look at your boosters and look at your AD and look at your staff and say, well, we got a new quarterback, so it's going to take us a couple of years. Well, we're putting in a new offense, so it's going to take us a couple of years. New coordinator, so it's going to be a transition period. No, that doesn't work anymore. And the reason it doesn't work is because you see this guy, if you're watching the video for him, you see the guy at the bottom of the screen there, Ed Orgeron. Half the time, people aren't even convinced his headset is plugged in. And yet he pushed the buttons overnight to take the same group of kids who were giving you the results we're getting right now 
and then they just rewrote the record books. So why don't we just go find our Joe Brady? Why don't we just go find our Joe Burrow? The answers to those questions are, of course, because you just saw a generational confluence of events in Baton Rouge. But don't use the words generational or confluence to convince a Michigan fan or a Georgia fan or a South Carolina fan or whoever out there. We got a bunch of them who want their offense revolutionized overnight. Don't tell them it's not possible. They're not interested in hearing it. They think they recruit well enough. They think they can get whoever they want to. And they think that there is this plentiful supply of ingredients that LSU just packaged in a perfect combination. They can do it as well. I don't know that that's reality. In fact, I think I know it's not reality. Uh, The best evidence will be watch LSU this year. LSU is capable of winning another national championship, but the thing about it is LSU could fall well short of their offensive output last year and still be a contender this year. It's not easy, but the bad part for everyone else is Ed Orgeron made it look easy last year. So your grace period that used to exist, you used to be able to look at people in the eye and say, just give me a couple of years with this new coordinator. This new quarterback, he needs 12 to 18 months to mature. Nope. You got spring, and now certain viruses come along and take that from you. Don't care. We're still paying you a lot. You still recruit at a high level. Give us results yesterday. Welcome to college football 2020 and beyond. Thank you, LSU. Moving on. Recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. This is not a recruiting-centric show, although we do talk recruiting a lot. And this banner behind me says 24-7 sports. And if we specialize in one thing, it is recruiting above all else. But I will tell you this. There is a very, very good piece that was put out. I don't like saying that. A feature. A very good feature that was put out by Andrew Ivins, the Peach State Scorecard. The Peach State Scorecard, in large matter, um, I don't want to say that, Colin. Since we're going to cut this video up, let me restart. Andrew Ivins put out his Peach State scorecard the other day, which in large case sort of resembles what Bud Elliott did with the Sunshine State scorecard. You're going to have, I guess they'll call the Texas the Lone Star State scorecard and the Golden State scorecard. If that's not what the California scorecard's called, it should be called the Golden State scorecard. And what this is, is essentially taking the hottest hotbeds of recruiting state-wise in America, and let's see who's doing what in those states. So Andrew Ivins, this is just fascinating, and I think even more fascinating inside the piece or the feature is Georgia's approach right now to recruiting and how Georgia can choose how they want to recruit. But their choice, I think, is opening a door, just a crack maybe, but opening a door for a couple of programs. So I'm from Georgia. It's a really strange, unique place. In Louisiana, your typical kid grows up wanting to play for LSU. In uh, Oxford, Alabama, your typical kid grows up wanting to play for Alabama or Auburn. In Georgia, it's not always the case. Now, you could do an entire series of shows on why in-state kids in the state of Georgia aren't hardwired. They don't have it in their DNA from birth to just go to the University of Georgia. I wrote down a couple of reasons. So this is what people, this is what we talk about back home. When someone asks that question, People say um, the family roots aren't as deep, which is a fancy way of saying it's a transient state, especially the most populous areas. I'm from Columbus. It's a military town. A lot of folks in and out. Atlanta is obviously one of the biggest cities in the country. It's the biggest city in the southeast for about 1,000 miles, so a lot of people coming in and out. So you may have kids there that are juniors in high school that move there in seventh grade. Point being, they don't have deep roots in Georgia clay, the way that maybe LSU kids do, maybe the maybe uh, the way Alabama and Auburn kids do. Another reason that's thrown around is, and good luck explaining this, for whatever reason, there is not the state pride in the state of Georgia 
in Georgia sports, Braves, Falcons, Georgia, et cetera, there is not that state pride that exists athletically on average, at least, that you may find in smaller states. Ironically, in states that don't have, in a lot of cases, pro sports. Good luck writing your senior thesis on what the reason for that is. I'll tell you this, too. A lot of people say, for some reason, Georgia kids don't view it as cool to stay at home. You know, a lot of them think in order to be great, in order to do something truly great, for people to talk about you 50 years from now, you can't stay home, man. You got to leave home. And I'm telling you from being on the ground a long time, that mentality is true. It's there. I don't know how to explain it to you, but it is there. And it's not because you can't go to Georgia and win big. Obviously, you can go to Georgia and win big right now. But back to Andrew Ivan's feature, the Peach State scorecard here, Georgia just landed the number one class in the country. So if you're a casual recruiting fan, or maybe you even pay attention to it at a closer level, but not quite a granular level, you may think, well, Georgia, obviously, that's a very, very populous state. Obviously, they pump out a ton of talent. So obviously, if you got all that talent to choose from in state, you're going to be number one. Well, you're half true, because Georgia did just finish number one. How about this? Perception versus reality. Perceptions, probably, they dominate in state. How about this reality? I knew this, but I had to go back and look at the numbers uh, to make sure that Andrew Ivins here was dead on the money. And believe it or not, he did fact check his work. So yes, he is dead on the money. Georgia had four five-star kids, composite five-star kids this last class. One was from the state of Georgia. That's not shocking, okay? Any given year, that kind of stuff can happen. Here's the shocking stat to me. Georgia signed 15 four-star recruits this past cycle. Two of them were from the state of Georgia. And one of those went to IMG in Florida. We're just counting him as being from the state of Georgia. Two out of 15. And the state of Georgia was loaded. Here's how loaded it was. LSU, Clemson, Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Mississippi State, North Carolina, Stanford, Georgia Tech. All these programs landed at least one blue chip kid from the state of Georgia. Everyone comes down here. Ohio State comes down here. Michigan, everybody comes down here to recruit. Georgia has yet to sign the number one player in the state of Georgia under Kirby Smart. As Andrew Ivins points out, and he is correct, that may be a little misleading because they got Nolan Smith, who was an IMG Academy kid, but he was he's a Georgia kid. And so having said that, Georgia right now is dominant recruiting. They don't dominate in state. I'm not saying they're not capable of dominating in state. There's a reason for this. Talking to some people close to the Georgia program and, and really on the inside of Georgia recruiting, the thinking, part A, is it's too risky to put all your eggs in the Georgia basket in, in a lot of cases because of the reasons that I pointed out to you a little while ago. You just don't know where the head is at for a kid from the state of Georgia in a lot of cases. So Kirby Smart thinks that, but also, and this makes perfect sense to me, he looks around and says, why in 2020... When I can be anywhere I want to in this country in four hours, five hours with, with aviation, why would I limit my recruiting approach to imaginary geographic lines on a map? Uh, can you, does anyone have a good rebuttal? I don't. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. So basically, Smart looks around and says, we're capable of recruiting nationally. We're going to recruit nationally. And we'd love to land kids in the state of Georgia. But I, I really think that he looks at it and says, I mean, if all things are equal, all things are equal. Now, if I got a kid who is a better option out of Statesboro, Georgia, than a kid from Manville, Texas, yeah, I want to go get the kid in Georgia. But I don't even think that Kirby Smart gives a whole lot of preference to the state of Georgia. I think he gives preference to kids who can win a championship. That's what I think he does. Now, I don't have any problem with that approach. 
a lot of you should be kind of happy that Georgia chooses to take this approach. I read you the list of programs that have landed in the past cycle, at least one blue chip kid from the state of Georgia. In the recruiting industry, there are two terms to describe recruiting in Georgia. You got the state of Georgia and you have the state of Atlanta. For recruiting purposes, a lot of people view Atlanta and the surrounding area. Let's call it an hour radius around Mercedes-Benz Stadium. A lot of people view that as its own state. I mean, that's obviously where a lot of the talent is. But a kid from Lowndes County and a kid from Fulton County, you're talking about two different kids. And so the upbringings are different. The roots are probably different. So you got to recruit them in a lot of cases different. There are two programs that I think have to pounce on this. South Carolina's one, Tennessee's another one. You draw, and I really want to hone in on Tennessee. Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, it's not optional. They have to have success in Georgia if they're going to beat Georgia, if they're going to be a player in the SEC East. And I happen to think that Tennessee, even though the in-state crop in the state of Tennessee is nothing to really write home about any given year, I don't view Tennessee as being in some disadvantaged position recruiting-wise. I draw a six-hour radius. I always like to do this, the six-hour radius, the six-hour bubble around any given spot on a map. And if I draw it around Knoxville, I get up into near the Tidewater area of Virginia. I got the Carolinas. I also am Jeremy Pruitt. So I trust that even though Mobile is not in my six-hour radius, I can go down there and get kids. I've got North Alabama in there. I got all of North Georgia in there, including Atlanta. I get over into Nashville. I get up into Southern Ohio. You're telling me I can't land 25 kids per cycle that land me top five nationally? Of course you can, but you can't do it without Atlanta. You can't do it without the state of Georgia. I got to watch Tennessee very closely right now, this upcoming cycle. Once they get a product on the field to sell on the recruiting trail, and I think it's an ongoing effort. And when I say sell, I mean sell in the way that you can walk into my living room and convince me if I come to Tennessee instead of Georgia, I got both options and you want me to choose Tennessee, I can do that and reasonably see over the next four years us beating Georgia, us being the dominant player in the East. You can't sell kids on that right now. The ending to last season may have gotten you closer. It saved your job. It got you closer to being able to sell that. I'm not buying that yet. So it's an uphill battle, but it's a battle I think that they feel like they're equipped for. I would also watch South Carolina, like I said. Of course, you've got competition in-state uh, from Clemson, but listen, Clemson, uh, they figured this out a long time ago. Dominate in Florida enough? Dominate in Georgia enough? I mean, think about the kids that have come out of this state. We were mentioning Georgia not landing the number one player in the state. We're not talking about busts. Guys, we're talking about Trevor Lawrence. We're talking about um, Eric Gilbert this past year, the tight end slash wide receiver, just total freak of nature, who has not played a college down yet. I would stake a large amount of my net worth, which is into the hundreds now, Colin, that Eric Gilbert is going to be a star as a freshman, forget sophomore, junior, as a freshman at LSU. Also, there was a kid named Derek Brown. And if you don't remember him, watch the NFL draft this coming spring. You won't have to wait too awful long to hear his name. The other program to watch, they're sitting top 10 nationally right now. I think they may be top five nationally. The University of North Carolina. Matt Brown's North Carolina Tar Heels. They flipped Drake May, the elite quarterback from Alabama. They are sitting top four, top five right now. And there is a lot of positive momentum. I think momentum is overused in football and sports. But in recruiting, it very much is underused as a term. North Carolina's got some momentum right now. They've obviously got to do work in Atlanta and in the state of Georgia and the state of Atlanta. 
as they call it, too. All right, let's move on. So the other night, Thursday night, we were about 24 hours into um, everything being shut down. Since we last spoke, more things have been shut down. And so, I, I, like I told you, I'm not going to sit here and give medical advice or whatnot. I'm not going to give really even social advice. Just be smart, you know, wash your hands, maybe a little bit more than usual. Uh, you know, I went in the grocery store the other day. I've got a theory on this, Colin. I went in the grocery store, and there was a shortage of paper towels and toilet tissue, and I will grant you that there was. But I think a lot of these grocery stores have gotten really, really smart to what's going on. And so, and I know good and well in our audience, someone has to work at a grocery store. Here's my working theory. My working theory, if you look at the pictures, there are always like one or two lone packs that are left. It's never totally cleaned out. So you look at those packs and you think, oh, those must be the defective packs of toilet paper. I don't think so. I think there are trucks of toilet paper sitting out back. And in order to stem the uncontrolled chaos that had been going on on those aisles, I think some kids going back and forth a hundred times per day and just putting the few packs there so that you can come and take what you need and only what you need, and then it's empty, and then boop, they fill it right back up. I would need security cam footage to confirm this. It's only a working theory right now, but I feel, I feel really confident in that. That has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about here, though. So what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to collect some information, the general thoughts, general temperature out there inside the college football world anywhere. I mean, a lot of people's minds are in a lot of places right now. So I'll just give you some. There's going to be no structure to this. And some thoughts that I've had too. I'll tell you a thought I had is, could you have picked a worse time to hire a new head coach? I'm not telling you Florida State made the wrong move in hiring Mike Norvell. I'm not telling you Arkansas made the wrong move in hiring Sam Pittman. I'm just telling you, as fate would have it, you just hired a new head coach, which means, of course, you've got all new support staff, an all new infrastructure, you're installing new systems and whatnot, and then all of a sudden, someone comes along and they just take spring from you. What in the world are you going to do? You got... you. You got true freshmen to acclimate. You got early enrollees to acclimate. In a lot of cases, these teams are going to depend on true freshmen. More on that in just a second. And they've got a new system to learn. Oh, and by the way, a lot of them are going to college for the first time. And so now, what are you going to do? You're going to you're going to email them workouts to do on their own in the summer. Good luck with that. And then, hopefully, fingers crossed. There you go. Fingers crossed. Uh, you get them on campus in the fall. And whereas you would have normally been getting ready to play a football game. You got to push that down the road a little bit because you got to teach kids how to play your brand of football first, then get them ready to play a football game. Oh, and by the way, you still got the same time frame to do it. If we don't extend this calendar and front load this calendar to where you have another week or two of camp, and I talked to a couple of people in college football the other night, they don't think right now, jello to a wall, as we're trying to nail this down, it's ever evolving, ever moving, but a lot of people don't think that they're going to extend fall camp, NCAA extending fall camp. That was a thought I had the other night. I don't think, based on what I've heard, that that's a popular sentiment. Now, what was expressed to me is maybe there's a compromise to where you add a week onto the front of fall camp for just freshmen, just an extended freshman acclimation period. Hey, if that happens, by the way, prayers up to you true freshmen. They get you alone, coaches. Having not been able to blow a whistle for the better part of eight months, Oh, and by the way, it's late July. Yeah, have fun with that. Uh, the other thing is these programs out here, a lot of the big boys, a lot of the usual suspects, having to replace a lot of departing starters. I'm talking about NFL draft departures. 
LSU, of course, is most notable here, but a lot of teams are having to do this. You were already probably going to depend on a lot of young kids, in some cases, at the least unproven kids, but in a lot of cases, young unproven kids, and now your spring got taken away. What about when you're breaking in new quarterbacks? What if you got a transfer quarterback coming in? Well, spring was when we were going to learn everything. You know, Jamie Newman it most notably comes to mind at Georgia. New coordinator there at Georgia. New, new quarterback, new coordinator. I mean, I think that there is reason to believe this possibly alters whatever Kirby Smart was going to do with his team because he has the luxury of possibly the best defense in the country this year. So even if they were going to rev the engine a little bit more offensively, hypothetically, they can afford not to and still be a championship contender. I don't know that everyone who has a new quarterback can say the same thing. You got the new head coach. That's obviously a problem. Here's what I'll pay attention to, though. This is going to be kind of more in the weeds as hopefully we get back to normalcy. And what I'm going to pay attention to is maybe a team or two out there that are thought of as contenders. And they're in everyone's preseason top 10. But they've got some young kids they're going to have to play who are not acclimated properly relative to a normal year. And two, they got a front-loaded schedule. They play a couple of top 10, top 15 opponents in the first month. Or maybe they play a non-ranked opponent, but an ultra-experienced opponent. Returning starters in a normal college football season is not the end-all, be-all. But this is not a normal college football season. You could have teams... I was looking at Georgia Tech, I think. They may return the most starters in America. Just as an example, Georgia Tech, teams like that, though, teams you wouldn't classify as preseason top 25, those may be the kinds of teams that are able to pull monumental upsets against high-profile, name-brand, sticker-on-the-helmet types early in the year who have a lot of talented kids that aren't properly acclimated playing for them. So just some things to watch. I put out the Q&A. Uh, just basically asking you if there was anything on your mind. We had a couple, and if you come to the YouTube page, the 24-7 Sports YouTube page during the week, from time to time I'll do this. In the off-season, I'll do it a lot. I'll just throw it up there in message form, and it'll say, you got any questions? Give them to me. I'll get to as many as I can on the show. We had a few the other night. Uh, Luke Wilman, Wilman, thank you, Luke. I got your first name right. Do you think LSU wins the West again? LSU will be a contender again. LSU is good enough to be a contender again. I don't think that a lot of the intangibles that people expect to cripple them this year are going to cripple them. I think a lot of folks have overthought the room on that one. So they're going to be contenders. Just as long as you're going to be able to put yourself in the arena of competition, you're comfortable letting the chips fall where they may, especially because you know, even on the worst of days, in your back pocket, you got a DVR recording of a national championship win and an SEC championship win and an Alabama win. So you can always go back and watch that. So, hey, man, I would feel great if I were an LSU fan, not only about what just happened, but about my chances coming up this year, too. Obviously, we're not in the prediction business in March. Uh, Will Lachlan, news on Anthony Schwartz at Auburn? No, Will. I don't have any personal news on that. I would keep it locked on auburnundercover.com. Brandon Marcello and those guys do a phenomenal job day-to-day on the ground covering Auburn. So if there's something about Anthony Schwartz that you need to know, those guys will have it for you. Part B to his question, comparing Auburn's defense last year to this year, will there be a gap? I think certainly there will be. Defensive line is going to be most notable. It's I, I, it's not something to where you lose Derek Brown, but you replace him with this guy. And Marlon Davidson departs and you replace him with this guy. They're not replacing those guys. Certainly there will be warm bodies in the places where Brown and Davidson played last year. They're not going to be as good. They're not going to be the force on the defensive line that they were last year. The trade-off is... 
could have a really good linebacker core. Folks at Auburn inside the program think that linebacker core, if everyone stays healthy, which is the if for every program in America right now this time of year, at linebacker core stays healthy, Auburn's going to be really good there. I think the challenge is for Kevin Steele, who makes, I think, like half a trillion dollars at this point. Guy's getting raises every year, deservedly so, because even though Gus Malzahn's the head coach, they're the identity of the program, has become defense. How that happens, I'll never know. It's one of the most fascinating stories to think about Auburn in 2013. They come in, take college football by storm. Nick Marshall runs circles around everyone. They get like 13 some odd seconds away from a national championship. Everyone thinks Malzahn's going to hang crooked numbers for all eternity. And then next year, I think the Iron Bowl was like 55 to 44. So they were still putting up big numbers. Who would have known? We're going to fast forward half a decade. Malzahn's still going to be the head coach. But their identity is going to be defense. They're winning big games. It's going to be defense. Fascinating. Life comes at you really fast in college football. Alex Compton, very simply put here, love these kinds of questions. Will Dan Mullen beat Georgia in year three? I think the correct answer here is, well, the correct answer is who knows. I think um, to broaden it out a little bit, you could answer this the same way that you answered the LSU question. Florida is going to put themselves in the arena. They're capable of competing. They've been capable of competing. They're probably as capable this year. They feel a lot better about their quarterback situation. I think they feel a lot better about their roster. I think they feel a lot better about their coaching staff. In those categories, they feel as good entering year three as they have at any point, stands to reason, under Dan Mullen. I talked the other night about the state of Florida recruiting and how right now we were talking about that Sunshine State scorecard from Bud Elliott, and right now is the time for Florida to pounce. They got to take advantage. Miami's been down. Florida State's been down. Don't know if or when they'll be back. Florida's got to take advantage. And you can hire all the great recruiters in the world. And I don't think they have a great recruiting staff. I think they have a much better recruiting staff than they did two years ago. I think it's been improving. And I think the behind the scenes infrastructure and support staff and analysts, I think that that's really been somewhere that they've beefed up their operation for the better. But ultimately, to tear down that wall, you got to beat Georgia. Because if I'm a kid from Lakeland, if I'm a kid from Valdosta, I mean, if I'm a kid who is torn between Georgia and Florida, you can sell me all you want to on the future and what we're going to be capable of. What really goes further than anything that comes out of your mouth is if I turn on that scoreboard and I see Florida 27, Georgia 21, final. Things have changed in the SEC East once that happens. And until that happens... I don't necessarily think a whole lot's changing. So my answer is, I think Florida's capable. I think they were capable last year. But remember how vulnerable everyone thought Georgia was? Do you remember the context with which that game was played? Georgia had just been trank darted in the neck by South Carolina, and then you had the bye, I think, right after that. And Florida was riding high, and Kyle Trask looked good. And for a brief period, folks thought that Florida was going to be favored in the game. And everyone had their money on Florida plus the points. And then that line mysteriously moved to Georgia minus six anyway. And then Georgia won. So more of the same. And as long as it's more of the same on the field, I think it'll be more of the same on the recruiting trail. And it's going to take somebody upsetting that apple cart. Wouldn't be a big upset, but it's going to be an upset that's necessary in order to truly change the landscape in the East. All right, we've talked long enough. We gotta get out of here. Remember, a couple of favors we always ask. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. <clears throat> All this is free, by the way. Click that thumbs up. Give us comments. Give us, give us anything you want to in terms of feedback. Click that thumbs up. And also, 
make sure you subscribe to the Late Kick podcast. It's available wherever you download your podcast. I know a lot of you like to listen to us maybe on your way to work in the morning or if you're stuck in the house for the foreseeable future, listen to us anytime you want to. But those five-star reviews and those comments, they really help us get our uh, name out there. So we will be here as long as we can be here. We plan on being here again Thursday night at 7 Central, 8 Eastern. Until then, have a great, safe, clean, smart week. I'm Josh Pate. This is The Late Kick. Have a great week.